0: What's going on, SkyTown? Welcome to another edition of the Skyhook Podcast. My name is James Kay, and unfortunately, on this episode, we are not joined by Chris Pennant, our other co-host who is dealing with COVID right now. We're hoping that he is on the back end of that. He's, he got it a little bit like later last week, so hopefully we'll have Chris back on the mic soon enough. But before we get to our exciting guest, Jackie Powell, from the neck, she does incredible work covering the New York Liberty, just the league in general, quite honestly. She's fantastic. If you don't follow her work, um, just change that. She's great and was so happy to catch up with her over Zoom a couple days ago. But before we get into that section of the show, I just wanted to share a few thoughts that I had about the Sky 2 media availabilities that they held this past week with the new players on the roster that I just thought it'd make sense to talk a little bit about it before we get into the swing of things with Jackie. I'm not going to get too in depth with all this because I do want to save some of the discussion for when Chris is back to full health, but I will say this is a really interesting group with like the blend of personalities is something that I think Skytown is just absolutely going to love. And again just speaking a little bit more generally because i do want us to get to the section with jackie it did feel like every person who spoke during the press conferences like they either mentioned having a chip on their shoulder or imply that there was one that existed and i know the skies foundation really took a hit this offseason we've been over it before go back to previous episodes if you want to hear us talk about that one I feel like if you had to start over with a new foundation, I think it's hard to go wrong with a foundation that's kind of built on having that edge every time you go out into the floor. And I kind of think I would rather have that than anything else that it's built on, just whether it's trying to build towards the future. Like Again, I think that varies case to case. But the one that the Sky have where everyone is just like, okay, it's just us against everyone else. You could definitely tell that's what James Wade was going for almost when putting together this roster. I mean, Isabel Harrison, Marina Mabry, Elizabeth Williams, Alana Smith, even Kalia Copper. I mean, they all have this extra motivation to prove people wrong about where this team is at. And it's hard. (laughs) I mean, they're all kind of led by the ultimate example of this, right? With James Wade, like the perfect nobody believes in us example I mean, there's just something there about the the us-against-the-world mentality that I think James Wade kind of loves to operate under, quite honestly. I don't think there's a ton of similarities with the 2019 team necessarily, but in terms of that, oh, you guys think we're going to be flirting with the bottom of the standings? Well, here's what we're going to do to prove you wrong. I mean, I think there's just something there that I think kind of makes – the 2020 season for the sky a little bit more compelling than I think a lot of the general discourse has been centered around like, Oh, the sky going to be at the bottom. And speaking of James Wade, I thought it was noteworthy too. just his explanation on the price to get Marina Mabry. I think he really reinstalled some confidence in the Sky's for an office, at least A little bit on social media, I mean, I try to stay out of the Marina Mabry trade discourse on social media, because there's just never going to be a middle ground on any platform that exists out there, especially on Twitter, where the W really has a lot of the conversations are just funneled into that platform, unfortunately. But what he said during the press conference the other day, I think it was like the February 15th, he pretty much said that what we kind of talked about on the show last week, which was just how the 2024 pick doesn't have that much value in the sky's hands, given how successful the sky were in 2022. And, and this is more of just a side note for me, but you can kind of tell how front offices around the league view this upcoming draft based on how many times teams have traded their first rounders this year. We've seen first rounders move around quite a bit this off season and the number five pick probably wasn't something that this guy valued that much anyway. And I understand why even, I mean, we've talked about on the show again, like the number five pick in a really top heavy draft, there wasn't going to be as much value compared to what it's going to look like next year. And the other thing that Wade said regarding his thinking with trading for Marina Mabry and the price was that there was this trend, this free agency period where great players wanted to go with, like wanted to go play with other players. I'm still not sure how much I believe in that trend in the, like the existence of that trend in the next couple of years, just given that like the great players who went to play with the other players <laughs> this off season, they kind of went to teams with multiple all-stars on the roster already, but that's kind of where you have to believe in yourself in being able to build the players on the roster into that type of talent. And James Wade also mentioned just about how there's this two-year plan that he's always, always thinking into the future about like how the plan for the off seasons that loom ahead. And I guess that I, I understand the mentality of wanting to bring in, just bet on those players to, be able to have to bring in other players I mean it worked with last season right I mean James Wade won executive of the year for a reason that I've said it a hundred times like that is a master class season, given where the sky we're at with restricted free agents all the cap gymnastics and all that went into getting someone like MME submitted to the fold Julie Alamon who I know didn't play as well last season but Based on how we saw her in 2020, I mean, it did seem like a home run trade at the time. And again, they also got the number five pick, which ended up helping get them Marina Mabry. So I get James's thinking. I just think that there's there's more of a middle ground here where this move is more of a risk than I think Wade is making it out to be. But the initial reaction from fans saying that this trade was a complete bust was also something that I didn't completely agree with either. I just think there's this universe where everything breaks right for this team, where the sky get maybe even as high as like the fourth seed. Just look at the WNBA rosters and just seeing how there's all these teams kind of looking up at New York and Las Vegas. Maybe the sky aren't. I mean, you know, again, they I know that they believe they're in a different place than what some other people believe that they're in. But I do think there's there is this... There's a situation that can play out over this summer where the sky again, I think they could potentially get that fourth seat if everything goes right for them, if all the value, all the risks that they kind of made, all these value acquisitions or moves all go the way that the sky think they're going to go, where the sky might not actually give up that much for someone like Marina Mabry, who I think is going to bloom into an all-star, and maybe that 2025 first-round pick, Becomes less valuable given this this guy's theoretical success in the situation that I just outlined. There's another one though, where things in Chicago don't go as well in 2023. The pieces don't mesh as well as the team believes it will, and Kalia Copper just walks in free agency. And both of those things can happen. And you know, James Wade really just doesn't try to hit singles. Like he only swings to the fences. And when you bought into that philosophy over the last few years, I kind of understand where they come from. And just hearing him out during these media availabilities just was a firm reminder of that mentality that he has and how he will levy all of what is being said about this team into motivation for this group, which I think bodes well for them in 2023. But everyone has a 0 <laughs> a zero zero record right now, right? Everything is going to feel better when you haven't played any of these games. And there's just excitement about where the team is at. I think everyone's going to love Marina Mabry. I really do. The personality with her and Kai, I believe is going to be great. Courtney Williams, I think is immediately going to become a fan favorite. Just such such a delightful soul. Um, I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but she's just delightful. Um, but I think those are all the general thoughts that I have with what happened during the disguise press availabilities that again, I want to save some of the stuff for when me and Chris talk eventually. So with all of that said, let's just get into my conversation with Jackie Powell from a couple days ago. this happened before Diana Taurasi signed a two-year deal with the Phoenix Mercury to return for her 19th season. And same thing with BG so, coming back to the WNBA officially. That's, just so good to say that you know um yeah just very excited to see britney Griner back and yeah let's talk about some of these under the radar moves that happened in the WNBA with the one and only jackie powell right now we have jackie powell of the next on the line on the mic on the mic i can't believe we haven't done this before jackie so excited to have you on. You do such great work with The Liberty. How are you doing today?
1: I'm all right, James. It is wild that, you know, we've known each other for a while, and this is the first time I'm on the pod.
0: Exactly. I mean, it's crazy. Like, I feel like I've known you for such a long time and that we've only really met in person like twice at this point. I mean, it's so crazy, but I'm glad that we are on Zoom together right now to talk. And before we get into the entirety of the show, we have to kind of address like the elephant in the room that has kind of lingered since the press conference yesterday with James Wade. Are you going to accept his offer of becoming the assistant GM of the Chicago Sky? Is that, you didn't answer it on the call. So he has a journalist, I got to push you. Um, is that going to happen? <laughs>
1: I don't foresee that happening. I mean, I guess I got to give it to James Wade. He clearly knows or understands that the topic of assistant general managers in this league are just front office expansion. That's been a, I guess, quote unquote, beat that I've taken upon myself. Maybe he's seen or listened to the podcasts or seen the tweets. I don't know. But it seemed to me like. He had my number there.
0: (laughs) It's so funny. He always has something in his back pocket, Jackie. I mean, anyone who covers this team long enough will know like James is ready and loaded with that. But, you know, I'm excited to talk with you today, though, because we have a really fun little segment that we're going to do where we each talk about the two under the radar moves that we like and then two moves that we didn't necessarily love during free agency. but. Before we do that, I want to talk to you all about Betstamp. Sports betting is a great way for fans to get more involved with the WNBA, and Betstamp is an indispensable tool for sports bettors of any experience level. The app aggregates data from all of the major North American sports books, showing you the best odds available for any bet you want to make. You can also follow picks from the most successful Betstamp users and keep track of your own betting history as well, Download BetStamp today in the Apple or Google Play Store and use the promo code SKYHOOKPOD when you sign up. One more time, that is SKYHOOKPOD all over case. When you sign up it is a great tool just to keep all of your lines centralized. I've got a couple of friends who've already raved about it, so definitely check that out if you can and use the promo code to you know, get a leg up as you start your BetStamp experience. But Jackie. It's a Friday. You know, we're all tired. Let's just be positive to start off this section of the show. What is just one under the radar move that you liked when it became official during WNBA free agency?
1: So the first one I have here is Mariah Jefferson being signed by the Phoenix Mercury. And usually, I'm known to be very critical of the Phoenix Mercury. I've found over the years that they have overpaid for certain players, and they have given them these lengthy, lengthy contracts. I'll never forget the Bria Hartley signing, where she she was signed to—I want to I say it was a three-year deal. It was like one ninety k a year. That was a Big contract, and you sort of saw how Jim Pittman, I guess, admitted his mistake by putting her in what was a very wild trade package. Was that the trade that landed the sky Alamond? Or I'm trying to, it was.
0: Yeah, it was like Diamond Diamond to Shields goes to Phoenix in a sign and trade Julie Alamon and a first-round pick, the Phoenix's number five pick, go to the Sky. Bria Hartley goes to Indiana, I believe, and then I think Indiana got like two second-round, two second-round picks and like two first-rounders, if I'm not mistaken. But that was a wild deal. That was a th- I believe that was a three-team trade, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yes, and then of course 2023 ups the ante, and we had a four-team <laughs> trade, as we know. Uh, around, I think tomorrow, it will be a week ago since the four-team trade. Time is just going by so Can't quickly. Believe it. <laughs> but I think I really like the Mariah Jefferson signing because, one, I felt like they did not overpay for her. I'm looking at what I believe Richard Cohen reported here. It exponentially grows. So it starts at 137,500, then moves up to 141,500. And then the final year is 145,500. And so I love the three year deal. No, especially when she has been as injury prone as she has. But I think they got it right with the price. Um, I mean, I was looking at how much money the Dallas Wings waived her for or gave up um, when they waived her. And I want to say it was 170 k which is, that is a lot of money. Just burn. Um, but, but besides financially, I think what I really like about Mariah Jefferson on the Mercury is Diana Taurasi plays well alongside a, a combo guard point guard. And so obviously you had that to a degree in Skylar Diggins Smith. But as we all well know, there was a lot of tension, drama, some sort of rift between those two. And Mariah Jefferson just comes across as someone who is just... She lacks, I guess, some of that baggage. And she's someone who is willing to just work really hard. I mean, obviously being waved by the wings and then being picked up by the links. I think that whole process was a really humbling experience for her. And I think she, and it's interesting, it reminds me of the Sky Pressers this week. A lot of the players that James Wade signed They kept saying, oh, you know, I have something to prove. I feel like Mariah Jefferson is another one of those players who, while she proved a lot in Minnesota, I feel like she's one of those players who can continue building on that. And I mean, the only question for Mariah Jefferson is her health. It's it's her knees to see if they hold up. But in terms of her skill set and what she could do, I mean, let's look. Three pointers in, oh my gosh. Is this really what I'm looking at in she, 2020?
0: She, she shouted okay. really well from beyond the arc. And you know why I know she did that, Jackie? It's because I actually put her on my list of moves that I didn't love as much. So this that's why I smile at the top of this, because I'm like, oh, we already got our first disagreement. And Ooh. I actually agree with everything that you just said. I love the idea of Mariah Jefferson going next to Diana Taurasi, Sophie Cunningham. just as someone who can excel off the catch. She shot 47.9% off the catch in 71 field goal attempts last year, which is really freaking good. She also proved that she can be a facilitator. Minnesota really needed her down the stretch. And I think there's a reason why they won like 11 out of their last 20 games, you know, or just having someone like her to kind of stabilize things before she, again, got injured. The reason why I don't love it is because of how long the deal is. And the price is right. I do think the price is right after what she did last season. But if I am Phoenix, I'm trying to keep the books open as much as I can for the next couple of years. And I think the Sophie Cunningham deal, despite the off-court stuff that I know is important, but I understand why Sophie Cunningham why they signed her to that deal as someone that really just stepped into her own when Diana Taurasi had to step away or just, again, wasn't as effective. And Scholar Diggins Smith, again, left for personal reasons, um, which I think ended up being because she was pregnant, but I'm trying to keep the books as clear as I can. If I'm Phoenix thinking about what the future is going to look like. And I'm not sold on this team, even with Brittany Griner and Diana Taurasi coming back. I mean, I think it's fair to say that Diane Taurasi isn't even like 85% of the player she once was, which I don't think is unfair because of how great she was during her entire WNBA career. I just have a lot of questions about what's going on with Brittany Griner, and I'm so happy that she's back in the United States. And every picture you see her making a public appearance is her smiling next to her wife. It's like, thank freaking God, I wasn't sure we were ever going to get that again, but I like the move for the Phoenix in 2023. It's just those next couple of years where I'm not entirely sure that one makes as much sense. But what would be your argument against that too, though? Because I'm even talking myself into it a little bit more. It's like you want to have good players on your roster. I know that's very like a simple idea, but having good players is good. So maybe like I'm overthinking this a lot, but I just don't see her as much of a dynamic scorer for someone that, again, you're committing three years to who has an injury history?
1: So I will tell you, I mean, I I guess the standard I hold the GMing in Phoenix to is a low one. That's so for me, this was a move where I was like, oh, basketball-wise and price-wise, that makes sense. It could be possible that Jefferson wanted a higher price. And so I think the methodical thing to do is you say, okay, well, we don't want to up the price, but we'll give you another year. I think that could have been what happened there. I also think if you think about Phoenix as added and subtracted when it comes to team culture, I think they really learned in 2022 how important team culture is. Yeah. So, They got Kayla Onyunwede. Onyunwede is a young player who is so willing to work hard and grow. She accepts any role that she's given. Mariah Jefferson is another one of those works really hard, doesn't really cause a stir type of player. And then the fact that they sent Diamond to Shields over to Dallas. I mean, obviously, they needed to clear some cap space. But, I I mean, you know, Diamond has a history of, um, how do I put this? Uh, I, I mean, she's been through a lot. But, you know, that was a very moody team in 2022. You had a lot of very vivacious and even contrasting personalities. Uh, it's wild to think about the, that super team image of the Mercury that really never came to fruition. Um, and you look at all those personalities and, and the, the two forces that would have stabilized that were either fired or were detained in Russia. And that's Brittany Griner and that's Sandy Brondello. So in the past, the Mercury have not necessarily have taken part in the psychological profiling part of building a team. And so when you had a coach like Sandy Brondello, who knew how to manage personalities, sure, that may not matter as much. But when you have a very green coach like Vanessa Nygaard, who... Clearly did not have great relationships with everyone on that team. you got to think about the the personalities, the psychological profiles that you're bringing into the organization.
0: I think that's a really good point. And Mariah Jefferson kind of has the best stamp of approval, which is Cheryl Reeve bet on her to bring her into the fold to kind of solve the problems they were having in the backcourt. So. I can give into myself more into that one for sure, but let's move on to the next one. I'm going to throw one at you.
1: Yes, we'll share.
0: I'm surprised just because I feel like she had a lot of buzz towards the end of the season, and I was surprised that Maya Caldwell going to the Indiana Fever and only sixty-eight thousand dollars on an unprotected deal. I am just shocked that one Atlanta. Maybe they did try to retain her and maybe she just wanted a different situation. We never know what's going on when teams are negotiating or agents are negotiating with teams. Giving Maya Caldwell and adding her someone that can score in isolation, someone that is going to really help improve this half-court offense that was just abysmal last season. I mean, it was by far the worst offense in the WNBA with the Indiana Fever and they're adding. Someone like Maya Caldwell who can, again, it, it's been a short period. It was a spurt. But we've already seen players like Bariah Jefferson, for example, get bet on for those efficient short spurts that were very eye-popping. And watching Maya Caldwell last year, I'm like, I thought that if the Sky were unable to re- retain Rebecca Gardner, for example, or, again, they just so they just needed to add wing depth that, could Maya Caldwell be a good fit in Chicago even? Again, just because the whole prioritization thing for Rebecca Gardner, I wasn't really sure if how that was going to work with Spain. I think that the Indiana Fever, just again, a team that wants to take the next step and will already be on the clock thinking about Aaliyah Boston leaving the second she gets drafted by the Indiana Fever because it's hard to tell a winner like Aaliyah Boston that just wait as we develop. It's like, no now is the time after this nucleus of young talent that you have to take that next step. Having Maya Caldwell like really replacing Tiffany Mitchell with Maya Caldwell, I think it's a really big step up for the offense. And I'm just sold on Maya Caldwell. I know it's a small sample size, but to get her at a unprotected deal at 68 K, I think is a huge steal, but, What do you think? Is she someone that you've liked when you've assessed her game watching her in Atlanta last season?
1: I think that is a brilliant move that you liked. And I'm shocked that I didn't have it on my list as well. Because when I I remember, I was at a doctor's appointment and then I took out my phone and I saw Howard's report about Maya Caldwell. And I was like, I was like, Yes. (laughs) I was like, yes. And I was like, ah, yes. Once again, we have more Atlanta to Indiana turnover here. Christy Sides must have loved her. And I get why, because I will never forget watching the Atlanta Dream play against the New York Liberty, where it was like the survival of the grittiest, which team was going to win and get themselves into the playoffs. And so obviously people remember what Ryan Howard was able to do. Ryan was wonderful in that game. I remember there was a moment where she had this emphatic lock on Steph Dolson. It was it was wild. But who was the Robin to her Batman? Indeed. <laughs>
0: she
1: some of the things that she was able to do and just her story, it sort of reminds me of, like, a younger Laney in that, Weird. I mean, I'm trying to remember defensively what she looked like, but just sort of this ability to create, the ability to be a three-way scorer, be really athletic. I'm trying to remember, how tall is she? Like, she's a wing, right? Not a guard.
0: Yeah, she's, like... Wait, I have her WNBA page right here. So she is 5'11". I okay. actually like that comp with Laney. I think she's probably not as strong as Laney. I mean, she's 160 pounds. She definitely is someone that is more of a pest on the perimeter than anything else. But that I love that comp.
1: Yeah. I mean, when I watched her live, I was like, hmm, where have I seen this, this really like dark horse vibe? And I'm like, hmm. It was in the bubble. It also was with the Atlanta Dream, and it was Van Aijelaney. I love that.
0: I just think that, like, do you, let me throw it back your way. I don't want to just project my own ideas here. Like, do you think Indiana is kind of ready to make that next step? I think they haven't won a lot of games over the last two seasons. There's a reason why, you know, they had the best odds to get the first overall pick in this upcoming draft. Do you feel like the Indiana Fever feel like they need to make that next step or should be looking that way given, again, how much they have invested in the draft over the last few years?
1: I think there is a universe where the Indiana Fever are the Atlanta dream of 2022. Depending on what happens from the super teams and what type of adversity is faced elsewhere in the league, There is a universe where I see Christy Sides winning Coach of the Year. I believe that Tanisha Wright deserved Coach of the Year in 2022, but a lot of the voters were like, "Oh, it was Becky Hammond's first year," you know. Well, it was also Tanisha's, but anyway, um, (laughs) I I could go on and on about why I believe Tanisha Wright was Coach of the Year, and so I see a universe where the Indiana Fever either just make it as that eighth seed or are the ninth seed and they're so close to me that would be a really really successful season because then they would still get you know a lottery pick for 2024
0: i can't say the words that indiana fever are in the lottery again like i that to me is so frustrating when there's i like the talent that's on this roster especially coming out of this off I'm not sure how I feel about the Victoria Vivian's move. First, I have to do a little more research into that to really have a strong opinion about it. But I'm with you. I think the fever could be pretty feisty. But since we're living in this universe, Jackie, um, they say that like, the fever going to go from winning, what, like seven games last year or whatever it was, to, to being a playoff team. I think that it's going to be challenging for them. But also, there's nothing like a culture reset. It was truly nothing like that, and I think about Kelsey Mitchell, who could have her eyes on free agency in the coming years. Thinking about okay, I've been losing so much. I should be an all star. My, you know, colleagues view me as an all star, but it's other people who don't. I think, and I'm I'm really high in Kelsey Mitchell. I think she should have been an all star over Arike Gubawale last year.
1: Uh huh. Um,
0: yeah if I'm the fever, I'm doing everything I can to retain her. And in order to do that, you got to win some games. Like you really do. You got to, I, I don't want to hear any more free Kelsey Mitchell chants because the idea of her and Aaliyah Boston together, I think is a really exciting one. So, well, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll make sure to make a note of that when we check in and see how the fever are doing at midseason. But what's your next move that you liked from this WNBA off
1: before I say that, I just yeah. want to say about the fever. I think Lynn Dunn has done an absolutely remarkable job. And I was so glad to hear that that interim tag was taken off. I just think she understood exactly what the fever needed to do. and And I think there can sometimes be a stigma when it comes to the word rebuild. I mean... There are teams that just don't ask want the to...
0: Chicago Sky, <laughs> they have repelled the word rebuild. So, I, uh, Sky, everyone who's listening to this podcast, this niche podcast right now about the Chicago Sky, are feeling the exact same way about the term rebuild.
1: Oh, for sure. But I think, and I've covered a team in the New York Liberty where. They sort of teetered on that in 2019. And, you know, they hired a new general manager in 2019 and Jonathan Kolb. And in in discussions I've had with him over the years, I think he's laid it out and he said, Yeah, when I was first hired, I had to sort of see what we were working with. I had to observe. And then once he knew and once he understood, that was sort of when he was able to implement his vision. And so I think Lynn Dunn has had such a strong vision and she sort of was able to, I guess, make that pitch not only to the fans, but to the Fever organization that, listen, the only way for us to start winning games again is for us to tear it down. The only way for us to be exciting again is for us to tear it down. I mean, the Fever were a bad team last year, but they were fun. Yeah. I mean, there was the first year in years where the Fever were so fun, and that's like that is that first step. So I just, I mean, I remember making jokes last year. I was like, oh my god, Lynn Dunn for exec of the year because I think they they won a bunch of games in the beginning before Marion Stanley was was fired. But um, anyway. Transitioning into the other moves that I really liked, I'm going to say Crystal Dangerfield on the wings.
0: What's your
1: I I mean, the thing is, I watched a lot of Crystal Dangerfield in 2022, but I just, I feel like Rike Agumboale needs, she need, need, needs a, a natural point guard. You cannot, so there's obviously a trend in the WNBA right now, and I think you're going to see this from the Chicago Sky, and I think James Wade was pretty clear about this, where your backcourt essentially are two guards that can both play on and off the ball. In Dallas, that modern approach, I don't want to say it isn't attainable, but it isn't ideal because you have a a ball heavy shooting guard in Reggie who needs someone who can sort of direct traffic who can get off the ball who can make really smart cuts and reads that's Crystal Dangerfield
0: That's a good one. I think when you're Crystal Dangerfield too and you're at this point in your WNBA career where you go from having not a bad stint in Minnesota quite honestly I I know that 2021 was a little bit harder on Crystal Dangerfield, especially when Lay came in and they were just so freaking good. Um, Yeah, that, God, that Lynx team was really fascinating to me. But I think when you're Crystal Dangerfield and you've had multiple stops now that you're going to have to do everything you can to just make it work wherever you're at. And on Dallas, again, another team that probably wants to take that next step I personally, I know this is going to be an unpopular opinion, especially coming from someone in like from the next, but I wouldn't have fired Vicky Johnson, quite honestly, as much as we've heard things about her losing the team, quote unquote, Vicky Johnson improved that team in all, like in the multiple years that she was with the team and they're ready to take the next step and clearly felt like, okay, we need to have like a, a veteran coach come in and make, just make it all work. And if you're Crystal Dangerfield, I just think that even as this team wants to make that next jump, there's a lot of playing time that can be consumed on that roster right now. There's a lot of uncertainties. So I do think Crystal Dangerfield is someone that could fit in nicely, potentially with Enrique And again, I just think that this, again, I know this isn't like really on-court analysis, but again, at this point in her career, she just has to make it work, right? She's got to... As hard as it is in the WNBA for just sticking on a roster and being one of those tweener players, I guess, also I'm curious, is she, is this the last year she's at with being on a minimum deal of zero to two years, or is she now reached that three-year mark where she's going to be making at least $72,000?
1: The thing is, she was waived, so it's sort of, it starts over for her, and so she- The the one criticism of this deal was that it was two years, but I think the price is right. So eighty k each year for two years, and you know, I, I guess to me that says that they feel like she is a a backcourt defensive piece for the the now and the future. But I I think that price is is right on. I mean, that's above the... She was reserved, so Dallas had the negotiation rights because New York traded her rights. But I think that's a bit above what the minimum is for... Yeah, it is way above the minimum of what it would be for her with about to be four years of service. So... Yeah, I I like the fit there. I like the fact that Dallas is going to have a guard that defensively is very sound and very cerebral, and that's something that I think they've been missing. The one drawback about Dangerfield is her size. I mean, that's that's something that, you know, during her many stops in this league, that's been a, a point of contention. Uh, there are, I'd say there are two guards, including Dangerfields, who have this quote-unquote issue, and the other one is Aerie McDonald's. And you see how the Atlanta Dream values Aerie McDonald and how she works so hard and is so athletic to sort of quell those, um. I guess, uncontrollables for Dangerfield, it's her IQ. She's so, so smart. She's so, so smart. And they they need that brain power in the backcourt. They just do.
0: We talk about defense. I mean, they just lost one of the best off-ball defenders in Alicia Gray. And you lose Marina Mabry, who I've just been watching a lot more film of her specifically. Like, I watched a lot of the Dallas Wings last year. I I mean everybody like who does this full-time watches the entire league when it's 12 teams, but to just specifically hone in on Marina Mabry and just see how she moves off the ball offensively and defensively, the way that she's able to navigate screens, like the terror that the Sky are going to be able to bring on the defensive end because of how well she moves off the ball and how Kalia Copper, who it's just like moronic that she wasn't on an all-defensive team last year. Um, so I think like oh yeah
1: that you say that you think that marina is as skilled defensively maybe it was the oh, not as
0: and not as skilled as alicia gray i mean i think alicia gray is like in the 99th percentile oh <laughs> oh know? yes
1: yes okay i misunderstood you i think where marina has to grow is defensively obviously but um Yeah. Losing Alicia Gray in your your backcourt or I guess on the wing too, that's tough. And I think while Dangerfield is smaller, I think her her brain defensively and offensively is going to help Dallas.
0: It's going to be crazy. I think in a couple of years when I think Maria Mabry is going to bloom into an all-star. She's been on the precipice for it for multiple years now. And now maybe like some of these honorary all-stars like Sue Bird might not like not like being in the way of that potentially like maybe Marina Mabry is an all-star last year um I just think we're going to look back in a couple years same thing with with Alicia Gray where it's like wait Dallas traded Alicia Gray and Marina Mabry like what are we doing here like I think there's the potential of that but we got to talk about the one person that I like and I gotta admit I'm I am drinking the Kool Aid. So much, like I'm bloated from how much Kool-Aid I've drank. Alana Smith to the Chicago sky. 100K. I know, I know it goes, it goes against a lot of what I value too. <laughs> you should see Jackie's face right now. She's shocked. I'm to... Look, Hear me out, hear me out. The sky just lost Candice Parker, Emma submitted, and Azrae Stevens all of who could stretch the floor for them. They opened up lanes to the rim for Kalia Copper, Rebecca Gardner. I mean, one of the reasons why the Sky were so successful is having those lanes being cleared. I don't think it's going to be the same way next season when they're probably running a little bit more pick and roll than they did last year. Just, again, looking at the note, like we're going, to, we're going to see a different Chicago Sky team. And I don't know if you've been paying attention to what Alana Smith has done overseas but she's fucking killing it right now. And when I look at what the sky need, (laughs) but I look at what the sky need is just a big who can stretch the floor. I know you're going to tell me, James, look, she hasn't done that well in the WNBA as a three point shooter, which is arguably like her biggest strength coming out of college. It's like, again, a big who knocked down 39.7% of her attempts from Beyond the, the arc on 5.7 attempts like that is spectacular. She's only hit 20.6% of her 106 three point attempts in the WBA so far. Not good. I watched what Alana has done overseas a little bit ever since the, the sky announced it. And I just, I'm drinking the Kool Aid. I'm drinking the freaking Kool Aid. I think that on opening night, I would not be surprised. If she was in the starting lineup even. As someone again, I, I I'm not sold on Isabel Harrison and Elizabeth Williams being again, it's just a lot of chaos in the paint when again a you gotta keep everything free for Kalia Copper getting to the rim. I would not be surprised if Elias Smith ends up starting for the Chicago Sky in opening night. Tell me your thoughts. I wish everyone could have seen your face just now in the pod. Go to, go to YouTube for this next one. Um Let's hear it. What Hit me with it. Tell me why I'm an idiot.
1: I don't think you're an idiot. I think you have a fair argument. I think you were right to say that the other bigs that the Sky signed, they don't help with spacing at all. And so Alana Smith solves that problem. I just don't think you pay her 100K for the body of work that she has completed in this league. Mind you, I think when she was on the Mercury, it was well known that she was she was injured and she wasn't really at full strength. I mean, this sort of happens with players. If you get injured during the WNBA season, it is very hard for you to come back and be playable. I mean, I saw this with Jocelyn Willoughby and Dee Dee Richards. I mean, Sandy Brandello did not trust them, was not comfortable with putting them in. Because they weren't really healthy. And so that could have been what went on with Alana Smith in, in Phoenix. But then, okay, she's healthier. She comes to Indiana. And clearly, they didn't like what she was providing there. I don't know culturally how the fit was. I have like a memory that she... She said something in the locker room about how she'd rather get fined than do media. It was like, OK, but I guess basketball wise, I understand your argument. I just the money involved 100K for that body of work.
0: So I'm, through February 15th, she is averaging 22.3 points, 9.7 rebounds on 65 percent shooting and 30 minutes of action in Poland's domestic league.
1: But how do you know? And I think this was a discussion that I was having with the next Isabel Rodriguez. How do you know that that's going to translate? I was asking, like, how competitive of a league is the Polish league? I mean, I think what Dana Evans has been doing in Turkey, to me, that has a little bit more meat because the Turkish league has some of the most competitive teams in Euro Cup and the Euro League. So I'm a little skeptical, but I see where you're going with it, and I think that might apply. That same rule of thumb might apply to one of the players that I was very skeptical about. It wasn't Alana Smith, but it was another Australian, and that's Kayla George.
0: Yeah, I knew that. I knew this was coming. I wrote it down. She's going to put Kayla George. Let's hear it.
1: <laughs> okay, so you could say that Las Vegas was looking at the numbers she's been putting up in Australia, in the WNBL. And so these are very good numbers. They are. I mean, so she's shooting over 40% from three, 115 attempts total. I mean, that's not, that is something. Where are we with points per game? 18.9, almost 19 points per game. You've got, 11.8 rebounds per game, 4.7 assists per game. Those are all great numbers. But again, I do not know how well this translates. I have not watched a lot of Kayla George, but also I sort of felt like she had gotten to a point in her career. I mean, she's 34 years old. She is a native Australian. Why would she want to schlep to the WNBA for a certain amount of months when she has her child and and her family built in Australia. A- and she hasn't been on a WNBA roster in... It's been a mean? long time. Okay, thank you for putting that. It's been a very long time. And so, yeah, she has done so well uh, at the WNBL level. She's been a very, very solid role player for the Australian Opals. And I think she can be a very solid role player with the aces but it's just it's like protected contract like
0: that was the thing yeah
1: what are we doing here i guess the rationale with the aces is like oh well candace parker technically doesn't have to be on a protected contract because why in the world would we waive candace parker so and and maybe it's this idea of Kayla George doesn't want to get into this, the shyla Heel like situation where you make the slap and then oh you're you don't make the team oh you gotta you know, but again it's it sort of and, and I could apply this to Alana Smith as well. In addition to Kayla George, those are types of players that you see how they look. I mean, the Sky signed uh, Annalee Maley, which I think that's a brilliant, brilliant training camp signing. I mean, I, if I think she has a good shot of making the team. I mean, she stayed on the team into maybe the first second week of the season, but it's like you, you give those players a look. You don't give them guaranteed money. I mean, you get, like how? I don't know. I I see the rationale, but I was talking to a a front office member in the league, and this person was also shocked oh. just because of the fact that. Kayla George has not been in this league for years. And so, you know what? Okay, maybe the ace has proved me wrong, but I just, I was like, and where was even the connection? Like the whole thing with how Nikki Fargus knew Kenneth Parker, obviously Becky Hammond knew Alicia Clark from those early days with the San Antonio uh, Silver Stars. But I'm like, what? What? Where is the Kayla George connection? I just don't understand. And then we did have Candace Barker say in her press conference and you were watching this. I was <laughs> like, it was like they almost told her and maybe I'm going a bit too off the cuff here, but it was like they almost told her to include Kayla George in that group of like, oh, these are players I'm really looking forward to playing with. Like. Tandis meant Alicia Clark, but for some reason, Kayla George's name came into that whole speech. And you know what? I've heard wonderful things about Kayla George as a, a good culture player, and that's really important. I mean, they re-signed Sidney Colson for that reason. You know, I, I have nothing against Kayla George as a person, but she's just not who I would say is a top-end free agent signing. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And the thing that I I could understand from her agent standpoint is not even just the distance of having to travel all the way to the United States and be away from your family for an entire summer. It's also kind of like with Rebecca Gardner, where there came a point when after Rebecca Gardner was undrafted out of UCLA in 2012, that she said I'm not going to show up for a WNBA training camp unless I know that I can, like, have a spot. Because, again, why are you just going to move back and forth and, like, risk the relationships that you have overseas just trying to come back to a WNBA training camp and knowing, like, maybe I'm just going to get some run. Maybe, I don't know how much money that she would make on a training camp deal in the short period of time that she would have been there for. I think it's probably what Kayla George is doing, like, why the Aces had to do that, like, protect that contract is... I'm not, I'm not coming all the way over here unless I get that protected deal, and that's why I kind of think it's interesting. And I don't think this guy, if I'm, I don't have the cap in front of me, but with Atlanta, it's an unprotected deal for 100K. Well, maybe the, the sky don't necessarily. Maybe again, maybe they have get told her like they did with Rebecca last year. Like, hey, if you come over here, you have a spot. Take your time finishing up overseas. We'll make it work until then. And they did, and it's a great bet with Rebecca Gardner, like arguably one of the best moves in the WNBA last season. Yep. With Atlanta, it's kind of, I I guess they could technically cut her if they if she doesn't do well in training camp. And then they could they have a Stew Dufall who mm-hmm. can maybe fill in that position. But I think you're totally right with this whole Kayla George situation where it's like they I wonder what the market was for all their players that Again, it could, like, they could have just brought in and it could have been an unprotected contract. And they just had this free for all in training camp where they're just like, no, we, we want to, we need to win a championship this year, given how we positioned ourselves, Candice. And like what the sky did, like they brought in all these players in training camp last season and they just whittled everything down. So that's an interesting one. And I, I didn't write it down for my own sake because I knew that you were going to pick it, but it definitely was on my short list just because of, When you're going for that, what is a one-year window with Candace Parker guaranteed that I'm curious how it all works out with Kayla George? Do you have another one, though, before? Because, again, I already said Mariah Jefferson stuff, and I know we got to wrap up soon, so.
1: Yes, before I revealed the other deal or move I didn't like, the one thing I'll say about Kayla George to close this up is that if the Aces were not going to re-sign Kia Stokes, then fine. This makes so much sense. You have, you know, the aces needed to have a big who could be reliant or who they could rely upon to make those shots. Kayla George is your person. She can Mm -hmm. make threes. She can. The aces re-signed Tia Stokes. And they... Whatever they did to make Eliana Rupert feel like she couldn't grow and develop over there, I mean thats a that is a young, talented prospect who, according to what I've heard, it came from her and her agent who really weren't happy with how the aces were going to try to grow and, and develop their talent. Um, and so she goes back to the general manager who drafted her in the first place, anyway. The last player who, or last contract, last move I was didn't really love was the Lynx signing Tiffany Mitchell. And it's just, I mean, when I look at the Lynx's salary cap sheet here, it's like this is the last year of the Ariel Powers over 200K contract. And who do you add behind her, but you add a very inefficient wing on a two-year deal? Like, I just, I mean, I have so much respect for both Cheryl Reeve and Claire Dewellius, but you sort of have to think that this was more of a panic move. I I really just, I, I don't understand this. It's like you need to find more efficient wings, not inefficient wings. Like, called? Yeah. Well, like, I mean, like,
0: it's tough. I really do think what happened in this situation, because, and I think that Tiffany Mitchell is an intriguing defensive player, I guess. But the price point that she got, what was like 130k something in that neighborhood, it did feel like a move where it's like, okay, we struck out. We didn't get Brianna Stewart, which honestly, a huge win already by being able to get. A meeting with her and Courtney Vandersloot, you know, like there's not a ton of connection, like obvious connections for those two within that franchise, other than Cheryl Reeve has built up this incredible culture and winning culture with the Lynx. It did kind of feel like, oh shit, not only did we not get Courtney Vandersloot and Rihanna Stewart, like Bree Jones just got cord. So she was someone that was kind of rumored to be in the discussion with the Lynx. Same thing with Azurae Stevens, who I think, whittled her options down to the links as well. So it's like, oh, we this was like almost the worst case scenario based on how the roster was built. Because I believe that AP can be like your like third, like second or third best player on a team, probably third best player on a championship team, given how she's just someone that can make a difference in a playoff game from her scoring alone. And Kayla McBride's been there before. I felt like there's an, another univ- universe as well where Cordy Banderslew and Brianna Stewart are able to come back or actually go to the links. Let's just say they were really sold on it. And that team could very well have won a championship, depending on what comes into the fold after them. That For didn't Stewart, happen.
1: Yes. Brianna Stewart, I saw no universe just because of that market. Uh
0: but if you get a meeting, you gotta believe you're gonna get the person. You can't like it's with the sky. It's like why. Think like operate under the assumption you're going to lose Kalia Copper, when you ha- instead could look out of the flip side and be like, no, we have an entire year to persuade her that this culture is going to work. Why try to reboot everything? And I mean, I think it's just a different type of philosophy. I guess it's like if you get Brianna Stewart in a room, you got to operate under the assumption that you're, you you were going to get her. I feel like in terms of keeping your options open, rather than panicking and being like, no, Stu York. It sounds like a really good hashtag. No, Stewie's going in New York. the um, well, no. had <laughs> to try.
1: They absolutely had to try. And it and I think the fact that Stewie herself said publicly that she learned some things about organizations that she didn't know. And I and I think that was a, a reference to the Lynx. She clearly has a lot of respect for Cheryl Reeve. She's a lot of respect for Mike Tebow. Otherwise, she wouldn't have met with both the Lynx and the Washington Mystics. I
0: agree. agree. Um, yeah, I'm really curious where they end up going. Like, if they end up being, like, a team that becomes more active at the trade deadline and if someone can try to figure out how to get someone like Ariel Powers or Caleb McBride who are both on expiring deals, they end up trying to think about the future a little bit more with, and again, they have the number two pick, so maybe they end up. I I, if it's not Diamond Miller, I actually will lose my mind, like. <laughs> I mean, I know the shooting number is a bit concerning with, like, how much of a regression it's been this year with her three-point shooting from her sophomore year to now. I don't care. I'm, I'm all in on Diamond Miller. Completely sure, all
1: in. Rave loves playing through the paint, or, I mean, she's had players who are oh, very uh, good at playing through the paint. So I think Diamond Miller's... What she's really good at, I think, would very much so go with what the Lynx are good at. But obviously, you need to have some shooters who can space it. I mean, McBride, she can space. I mean, even someone like Bridget Carlton, who Reed actually admitted, she said it was very hard to get Bridget Carlton to come back because there were so many other teams that were interested in her. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bridget Carlton's a good player. She played so well in the World Cup. Um,
0: I did. I've heard about, I got to admit, I didn't watch that as much, but I did hear that she did well in it. I just, to have like a robust market in the W, again, it's not even about the player necessarily. It's just like, the cap space is so tight. So, you know what? Good for Bridget Carlton. Good for anyone who gets paid in this league, quite honestly, Jackie Powell. Um. Look, I've kept you on long enough. I told you this was going to be 30, 40 minutes tops. And guess what? In typical Skyhook fashion, we went a little too long. So is there anything that you want to say before we wrap up the show?
1: I don't think so. I just think that WNBA free agency in 2023 has led to so many robust and analytical types of conversations. I mean, I know there have been a ton of scandals, you know. Las Vegas, obviously with T.R. Hamby, the salary cap circumvention, talking about charter flights. But th- this is the type of media cycle that this league deserves. You and I obviously haven't gotten a lot of sleep in the past month, but for the growth of this league, it is just so refreshing that there's so much to talk about.
0: Agreed, we definitely haven't gotten a lot of sleep in the last two decades. So, yeah, it's definitely something that has been. No, No, it's been great. And it's, I'm glad to see that the growth of this league is so contingent on being able to talk about all these things collectively, whether that's media, fans, players. It's just a different atmosphere than it was a few years ago. So, it's really exciting. But honestly, Jackie, thank you so much for joining me on the show. You're covering for chris pennett who we hope gets better from covid soon and yeah. i know that the pandemic's still real folks it's still up setting everything in place but um yeah really jackie always great to talk with you i'm sure i will be we'll go through one of our rants on flack soon um,
1: we'll
0: yeah <laughs> have a nice weekend
1: thank you you too thanks for having me of course